Awaken podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Well, good morning and welcome to Awaken. My name is Jenna. I'm the executive pastor here at Awaken. If you are visiting or new with us, we are really glad you're here. Um, If you're interested in connecting at all at Awaken, you can go to our website, fill out a digital connection card, and Kathy Solomon, our Director of Community Life, will contact you. We would love to get to know you a little bit, hear a bit of your story. Um, We can do that via Zoom call, go on a walk, beverage of your choice. Um, Yeah, we would just love to get to know you. Um, This morning, for our call to worship, um, this is entitled A Psalm of Possibility. It's by Reverend Gail Song Bantam, and she opens it with these words. For all those who are confronted by seeming boundaries, limitations, and impossibilities, this is a psalm reminding us of who God is in God's holy otherness and God's holy witness. I wonder... We might need those words this morning, Um, so receive them. God, creator, hoverer, you speak and we form. You breathe life and we awake. You said it is good and we believe. God, the Red Sea before us shouting impossibility They say we can't, we shouldn't, and we wouldn't. Words seeded from our youth, the limits and the lies. There must be truer truths in us to confound, resist, defy. Created from nothing, said something, made everything, this God. The Lord will fight for us, So we need only to be still. Still our soul, stand out loud, trusting that God is El Royi, God who sees, bears witness to a name. At her sound, our predicament leaps, demands possibility. Emmanuel, God with us, for us, within us. God, you said it is good and we believe. You breathe life and we awake. You speak and we form. Creator, hoverer, God. Amen.
despair redeems Crowns me with his love and kindness High as the heavens above So great is his love So bless the Lord, oh my soul Bless the Lord Bless the Lord blessing over our kids so if you have your little ones with you maybe pull them a little closer and um, let's sing the song over them Hey everybody, 
welcome to Awaken. <clears throat> My name's Micah, who we've never met before. Um, and I'm fresh out of the Boundary Waters, so uh, that was really fun. If you've never been up there before, paddled around with eight other guys, slept on the floor, caught some fish, got some sun. Man, good living, good living. But it's glad, I'm glad to be back. Um, today, we are finishing our series called Wells and Fences, um, which is a really important series for our church, uh, if you've not been around. Um, a little bit of intro, uh, Wells and Fences is all about what kind of church we want to be. Uh, what is the, what's the kind of community that we're trying to um, create, cultivate, encourage? Um, wh- what do we want people to say after they have been with us, really? Um, and today in particular is about, uh, I'll, 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 I'll illustrate it with a story. Um, when Jane Berg, so some of you know Jane, she's on staff here. When Jane was interviewing with Awaken, I remember a question that we asked Jane, a, a specific question. And um, she said this, she said, you know, Micah, I have a lot of questions about this particular topic. A lot of things that I'm uncertain of, but one of the things I know for sure is how we are to be together. And today is really about that. How will we be together with one another in our disagreement, in our difference, in our maybe uh, differences of opinion? Uh, We've been using this picture of a bounded set and a centered set to explore this idea of wells and fences. And so if you remember, a bounded set is a you know, a bunch of different people or, or uh, X's uh, in, in the graphic with a essentially a firm edge or boundary. And the most important question in a bounded set is, do you believe what we believe? And often there's a list of things that one has to check off in religious communities. It's doctrine and dogma. And when you do, then you're a part of the community. Uh, do you believe what we believe? And a centered set is rather a different kind of uh, environment. And the question's not about do you believe what we believe, but rather do you care about what we care about? And in a centered set, it's usually one thing. Uh, last week I told a story about William Wilberforce, and for them it was do you believe, do you care about what we care about? And that was the abolition of slavery. For us at Awaken, we're saying do you care about what we care about? And that is the life and teachings, the death and resurrection of Jesus the Christ. So that's the well in the center. If we're, we're interested in doing a well and not fences, then what's in the well, of course? Well, it's Jesus. It's the life and teachings, the death and resurrection of Jesus the Christ. And so that's what we're moving towards, and that's what we want to be about. Uh, when, we, when people come to Awaken and they experience our community, we want them to get a sense that while there's a variety of opinions about debatable matters, there is a clarity around this one thing, and that is Jesus. Um, and so when, when in this series, we've looked at, like, well, what, what then will be necessary for us to become these kinds of people and this kind of community? And so over the last four weeks, I've offered a few of those ideas. The first week we talked about Um, the the practice of curiosity and being curious people instead of feeling the need to defend something God or the Bible or the gospel can we be curious people who ask questions and not only ask questions and tolerate questions but value questions questions as a symbol or or a uh, indicative of a search that someone might be on and so questions don't offend us they don't they don't make me anxious but I see them as a person's honest search for what's true and good So can we value curiosity and questions? And we talked about orthopraxy, the idea of a generous orthopraxy, that what we believe is important, but maybe not as important as how we believe it. So we want to be a a group of people who hold our beliefs with humility and with generosity and with um, 
freedom where uh, we recognize that God moves in our lives and while we may hold something now, we may move on from that. So we hold those beliefs freely with open hands. Uh, In uh, week three, I think, or week four, I guess it would be, we talked about a dependence on the Holy Spirit. If we're going to do this thing called a well, then we, I would argue, we need something outside of ourselves that is guiding, leading, um, helping us move towards what's good and true and right. And that according to scripture and the Christian tradition, is the presence of the Holy Spirit. So we are actively depending on that. We, we desperately need the Holy Spirit to lead and guide and, and show us um, you know, which direction to go and which way to move. Last week we talked about revelation. Uh, this idea that uh, for Christians often it's the Bible as the thing that God is using to reveal God's self to us. And I wanted to broaden that category to say we do love the Bible, we value scripture, but also the spirit and the spirit's work in our lives and creation and the world that we live in and community and the voices of those who are near us and who love us are also ways that God is choosing and and often is revealing themselves to us. So today we wrap it all up with, um, well, arguably the most important thing. None of this is possible without freedom in Christ. And so I want to talk about that today. And usually I try not to repeat myself. Um, You know, I have a whole, like, uh, well, computer file, but paper files too, that's just full of sermons that I've preached. And as a, uh, I tend to see what I do in somewhat creative terms and as an artist, and I don't don't really like to repeat what I've said because I feel like it's cheating (laughs) in some ways. But... This one is pretty darn good. So I'm actually just going to repeat most of what I said last year on this topic of freedom in Christ because this is seminal. This is, um, this is foundational to who we are and what we're trying to do at Awaken. And um, I think it's that important. So uh, the old-time covenanters, which is the denomination that we're a part of currently, held the value of freedom in Christ as a precious pearl a pearl so precious they would be willing to sell everything they had to buy the field that the pearl existed in or was buried in, if you remember that parable Jesus tells. They were tired of religion that ended in division and fights and arguments and factions about theology and dogma and doctrine. These are folks who were tired of institutions who were interested in protecting themselves and telling the church or the people of the church what they could and couldn't do, read the Bible without a trained pastor or serve communion to one another. And these folks wanted an experience with God that was alive and dynamic and freedom in Christ was how they got there. So today I want to talk about freedom and I want to do it in two ways. I want to talk about it first theologically. We're going to read a passage from Romans and Galatians where Paul is talking about freedom and what he means by freedom in scripture. So we're going to unpack that. And then I want to talk about it practically, what we mean by freedom in Christ at Awaken. So that's where we're going. I'll start with the definition of freedom by the, uh, from the dictionary and that is the following. The quality or state of being free as a... The absence of necessity, coercion, or constraint in choice or action. Or B, liberation from slavery or restraint or from the power of another, i.e. independence. It's unrestricted use, freedom is. Or two, according to the dictionary, it's a political right. And I don't think um, in our culture, in our country, in our time, in our day, It's a stretch at all to say that the word freedom is largely understood in terms of an individual basis. In America, 
in democracy, uh, freedom is often and most, uh, mostly understood as an individual right that is afforded to an individual, a person. And I want to argue that in, as it relates to the Bible and as it relates to freedom in Christ as we're talking about it, that completely and utterly misses the point. It is something far different from that. It's not only not about you, freedom, but it's a gift that you give to someone else. It's not something you consume or are entitled to, but rather something that you offer to your brother or sister in Christ. So let's dig into what Paul says in Romans, and we're going to read from Romans chapter 14. This is a whole chapter where he's talking about the weak and the strong and how freedom plays into that, and then we're going to move over to Galatians. So we'll start in chapter 14, verse 2. Paul says this, One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another, whose faith is weak, eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Skip down to verse 5. One person considers one day, so now he's changed the metaphor, he's talking about sacred days. He says, one person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. Whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. Skipping to verse 13 of chapter 14. Therefore, he's sort of wrapping this argument up, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it's unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Don't, by your eating, destroy someone for, for whom Christ died. And then we'll read verse 19. He says, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace, mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food, for all food is clean. But it's wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. Paul's highlighting the value of relationship over your personal freedoms here. He says, it's better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep them between yourself and God. <laughs> I love it. Skip to Galatians chapter 5. Starting in verse 1, Paul writes this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised, he's obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith ex expressing itself through love. And finally, in verse 13 of chapter 5, he writes, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Pray with me. God, this morning, as we dive into this passage, it's my hope and prayer 
that you would, by your Spirit, be present to us, teaching, guiding, leading, opening our eyes, opening our ears to hear and see what it is that the Spirit is up to. So, give us courage to step out in faith and follow you wherever you lead. I pray in the strong name of Christ and by the power of the Spirit. Amen. So, Romans and Galatians, Paul's working with this idea of freedom, and he puts it in a number of different ways, which we'll unpack now. So let's start with theologically. I want to say that you are both set free from some things and for some things. And I'm going to go through these kind of quickly. This is basically what Paul's doing in in Romans. Um, You are free, Paul says, from sin and its effect in your life. You are no longer slaves to sin. You've been, rather, you've been set free from it. Romans chapter 6, he says, but thanks be to God, you used to be slaves to sin. You have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that's now claimed your allegiance, this way of Jesus, and you've been set free from sin and become slaves to something else. That something else is righteousness. Paul says, essentially, you're free from the effects of sin in your life. If we define sin as brokenness or ways in which we choose ourselves instead of other, ways in which we attempt to uh, assert our will or our desire in contrast to what, what God has made clear or is making clear to us. So when we say, no, actually, I know better, um, traditionally the church has called that sin. So it's essentially broken relationship between me and you, us and God, us and the world that we live in. Paul says, you're free in Christ from sin and the effects of it. You are also free from the law and the requirements of the law. So a little Old Testament history in the Old Testament. The law, Torah, was given to Moses, Ten Commandments, and that which he came down from the, uh, the mount with the tablets, but then the whole oral law, right? 613 laws of Torah. Jews believe that they, they, were to requ- they were required to keep the law, and there was this fastidious effort to adhere to what the law required of the Jewish people. Paul says, you're free from the law and the requirements of the law. In Romans chapter 8, he writes, therefore, there is thou, now therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, Because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be offered, uh, to be a sin offering for you. So basically Paul's saying, listen, there was this whole system and there were sacrifices that you had to offer in order to sort of keep your relationship right with God. And that was a system that you could never satisfy. You could never live up to it. And basically what has happened in Christ is that Jesus has satisfied the requirements of the law and offers you now freedom from the law and its requirements by faith. So when he talks about the whole thing about circumcision and he's like, listen, if you want to be circumcised, go ahead. But essentially what you're saying is you want to be under the requirements of the law, which you can't fulfill. So don't, you don't have to. Christ has done something different. It's good news. He says, you've been justified by faith in Christ, not by your adherence to the law. You can try and try and try as you might to be holy and pure and right, and you will fail. But good news, Christ has satisfied the law and invites you into a new relationship by faith. You've been set free from the demands of the law in and through the work of Jesus, who satisfies the requirements of the law. Basically, he says, if you want to play by the rules of that game, the old covenant, you're free to but you can't, so don't. It's a, it's a fool's errand. And there's good news. Christ has set you free from that. 
and the requirements of it. And that new game is grace by faith. So you're free from sin and the effects of it. You're free from the law and the requirements of it. And you're also free from judgment. This is, hang with me, friends. This is really good news. You're free from judgment and the desire that we have to stand in judgment over and against another. Remember in Genesis chapter 3, the serpent says to Eve, did God really say? Which introduces this insidious concept of doubt and questioning what God has said in scripture already, which is, you have everything you need in me. Do you really believe that God is good? And do you believe that all you have or all that you, all that you have and need is already yours or already been given to you in Christ? Do you believe that your source of life, your value, your worth is hidden with God in Christ, as Paul says? If you don't believe that's true, then you have to get it somewhere else. If you don't believe that everything you need has already been given to you and your value has already been determined, then you have to get it from somewhere else. And that somewhere else is called judgment. The distance that's created between you and me. When I size you up and I, I surmise that there is a distance between you and me, I make a judgment and then I, I essentially gain value or a position based off of my judgment and the difference or distance between you and me. So my value, my worth is not in God. It's not already been given to me. It's not already been declared. It's not already been uh, determined. But in the judgments I make, and we make about one another, we determine, we gain, we access, we declare our value. But good news, you don't have to play that game. You don't have to play the game where you judge another person and declare or determine or, or get value because it's already been given to you. It's already been declared. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, the story begins and it is abundance. It is original, not sin, original abundance where there's enough for everybody, and your value, your worth, has already been determined. So everything you need, it's already yours in God. So you're free from judgment. You don't have to play the game where you determine the distance between you and your neighbor, you and your coworker, you and your fill-in-the-blank, and gain value based on how much better you think you are than them. That's basically what we do day in and day out when we judge one another. And Paul's essentially saying, you don't have to do that because it's already been given to you. Lastly, you are free for, if those things are true, you're free from sin and its effects, you're free from the law and its requirements, and you're free from judgment, then you're free for love. That seems really trite and really simple, but it's true. If you have everything you need in Christ and all of your life and your value and worth and identity is wrapped up in your image-bearingness from the divine, then you are free for love. You're free to agree with God that every person is worthy of God's love. You're free to ascribe unsurpassable worth to even, to everybody, even the neighbor down the block that you can't stand, who has that dog that barks all day long, even them. Why? Because they're made in God's image too. And you don't have to gain value based on your betterness from that clown down there that can't take care of their own dog. No, you ascribe worth, unsurpassable worth, to that child of God who has the annoying dog. Why? Because you're free for love. Such good news. I could just stop there, but I think it gets even better. So you're free from sin, you're free from the law, you're free from judging, which means you're free for love. Practically, what does this mean then? 
Paul gets into this great, great line of thinking where he basically says, undisputable matters, love matters more. This is a quote from an old dead guy named David Nival. He was a president of North Park University. He said, there is no common fixed creed or special doctrine that binds the churches together. What's he just said? There's no like confession in the covenant church where we all agree to these particular understandings of doctrine and dogma. No, he says, there's no special creed or doctrine that binds us together, yet where there is harmony or where yet there are harmony. Uh, harmonious in faith and preaching, being in sympathy with general orthodoxy, Christian orthodoxy, where differences of theology coexist with pure Christian life and faith, these are permitted to exist as unavoidable in our imperfect knowledge of truth. What has he just said? Basically, where differences of theology and opinion and matters that are not who is Jesus, is God three in one, is there a need for some sort of experience or regenerative life in Christ? Like, debatable matters in Christianity, Nibel says, these are permitted to exist because they are unavoidable in our imperfect knowledge of truth. Here's the payout. Remember how Paul works this out in the church in Rome. He uses food, sacred days, and drinking alcohol. He's arguing, and he takes a whole chapter to do it, that on matters that are disputable secondary or not essential, that love matters the most. Because you are in Christ, because I am in Christ, you're free to let love lead and to extend freedom to your brother or sister because they are in Christ, which in this case is the absence of necessity, coercion, or constraint. (laughs) It's liberation from slavery or restraint from the power of another. You're free to let love lead and not demand that your brother or sister agree with you. You can set them free. You can give them freedom. Paul says, in Christ, the only thing that matters. The Greek's not very ambiguous there. The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself in love. Faith that God will be God and we don't have to play the role of judge and jury, faith that in Christ all of my worth and value and identity has already been decided. Paul says, on these matters, stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, what you believe about these matters, secondary matters, you know, when Jesus is coming back, divorce and remarriage, same-sex relationships, a Christian response to war, who you should vote for, how to read Romans whatever, predestination, Calvinist, on all of these matters that are in the Bible and they're important and we should think about them. He says, stop passing judgment on others because they disagree with you. In fact, he goes beyond that and he says, keep those things between yourself and God. Meaning, don't allow those to divide you and your brother or sister. Have convictions informed by the Spirit um, and your conscience and faith and tradition, but as you do, hold them with the proper weight. Said differently, hold them loosely. And always let love and the service, love and service of other trump our convictions on disputable matters. He says, if you're wrong in whatever your conviction is that you may hold on to, at least do it in love with the posture of humility and not judgment. Said differently in Micah's terms, Whatever you believe about God in the Bible and how to read it best, just don't be a jerk about it. And don't let it divide you and your brother and sister. 
in Christ. There's a, uh, a quote from the Covenant Affirmations that says this, with a modesty born of confidence in God, covenanters, and I would say awakeners, have offered to one another theological and personal freedom where biblical and historical record seems to allow for a variety of interpretations. This commitment to freedom has kept us together when it would have been easier to break fellowship and further divide Christ's body. Um, I'm actually going to ask for some of my friends. Um, so those who are participating in this, come on up here. We're going to just do a little, um, uh, what do you call this? It's an illustration, friends. You're going to see what I mean by this. So Jenna, Melody, Andrew, Dan, thank you for participating in our little um, exercise. You're welcome. Thank you. Um, if you would, just stand in a, a, a circle so you can kind of, you know, Jenna and Dan come in this way here. And this is a circle of unity, right? This is the church. You're gathered as one. You can even, you know, imagine them linking arms, if you will. We're doing COVID safe here, so we're all vaccinated, no masks, but we're not going to link arms. That's too far, okay? <laughs> so I'm going to ask you to step out of the circle if you don't affirm what I say, okay? Not yet, Andrew. I know you're dying to be the first one out of the circle, but um, stay in the circle if you consider yourself a theistic evolutionist and you believe in an old earth. So stay in the circle. So you don't believe in a young earth. You believe in, you know, the earth is billions of years old. Theistic evolution. Oh, okay. We all agree. Um, stay in the circle if you are a pacifist and you think it is never okay for a Christian to respond in violence. I, like... Can I half in, half out. Okay, we're not sure. Okay, we might need some discussion. Okay, okay, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Stay in the circle if you consider yourself a Republican and voted mostly Republican most of your life. Currently consider yourself a Republican. Okay. All right. Um, can, Stay in the circle if you are a hardcore Calvinist and Reformed theologian. Further and further away. Um, stay in the circle if you are a complementarian and believe that men should be the head of the household. It would appear we have no circle left. Come back to the circle if you affirm faith in Christ. Do you see what we're doing here, friends? Thank you, you guys. If the church were here, they would applaud. Well done. Thank you. Appreciate Thank you. it. We got one in the back. Hallelujah. I see that hand. How many here from Shelby County? Um... If the whole church were gathered here and we were to just start saying, if you don't agree with this, step out of the circle, there wouldn't be a circle left. Like there, there, there would just be, there's too many things to debate. And if we have to all agree on all of them, then there is no unity. There's only difference of opinion, difference of doctrine, conviction, belief. But if we say that we're gathered around a well 
And that well is the affirmation of faith in Christ. It's the life and teachings, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Then all kinds of people can gather around that well. Even just people who are curious about the life and teachings of Jesus. Who say, you know, I don't know if about the resurrection of Jesus, but I sure do like what he was about. Well, that's what we care about. See, this is why freedom and freedom in Christ is so vital to what we're doing and, and, and how we will be with one another. Paul takes almost an entire chapter in Romans to argue this. He says, on, debate, on debatable or disputable matters, love matters more. Your unity, our unity, is not in doctrine. It is not in dogma. It is not in all of the different convictions and beliefs that we hold about the Bible and all of the matters within. It's one thing. It's the life and teachings, the death and resurrection of Jesus, which means that when we disagree with one another on Calvinism or, or Arminianism, on divorce and remarriage and what Jesus says or doesn't say about it, on any number of things, you don't have to leave if you don't agree with me or Jenna or somebody else or your small group leader. No. Do you care about what we care about, which is the life and teachings of Jesus? If you do, welcome. Well, you're welcome to journey to, to be a part of this community. And I'll say one more thing as I close, because this, is, um, this has come up over the years, and it's, it's, it's the matter of minority and majority positions. So as, even as you watch these four, right, there was a majority position on a couple of different things. So let's just take this for example. In At Awaken, there may be a majority position on a particular issue. And there may be some folks who worship here, who call this place home, who are partners in our church, who would hold a minority position, who would be a few folks who disagree with the majority. And I want to be really clear about the dynamic here. If you find yourself in a majority position at Awaken, I'm going to ask that you hold that in a particular way. And that means that you are, we won't allow you to demean or disparage those who hold a minority position even if they disagree with you. They have likely come to that conviction by searching the scriptures, honestly, by prayer, through the Holy Spirit, through their own life and experiences. And they may never agree with you on that matter. And that is okay. They are welcome here. If you find yourself in a minority position, You're welcome to stay as long as you'd like. What you can't do is ask others to agree with you or bend to your position on debatable or disputable matters. At, in the tradition that we come from, it has been very, very important to um, preserve dissenting voices and minority positions. Why? Because often the emergent work of the Holy Spirit comes from minority positions. Think about all the ways that the church has changed its mind over the course of 2,000 years. 
Where did that come from? Where did the seed of that truth that we now know looking back come from? It likely came from minority positions. A small minority of people in the community who were in tune with the spirit in a way that maybe tradition or the institution wouldn't allow, but over time that groundswell became large enough to where we began to see clearly that we've been seeing it through a glass dimly. And that changed that position change. So what that means is we will preserve space for dissent and for minority positions precisely because that is often the way that the spirit works in the history of the church. Without that, we become an echo chamber, an echo chamber of agreement. And that's not who we want to be. That's not the kind of community we want to be. You cannot have diversity without difference. I would value, I think we would all value diversity, and that doesn't come without a different, different notes. You can't have harmony without different notes. You can have unison, you can have one tone or one note that everybody's singing, but you can't have harmony without different notes. Freedom is hard. It's really hard. And it requires maturity, it requires spiritual and emotional growth and wisdom and the furthering of relationship and the deepening of relationship because these kinds of conversations can only happen in those, in those environments. And so what we're saying that we're aiming at, what we're saying we want to be is actually more difficult and that's okay. As a church, we want to be moving slowly but surely, moving towards our ability to live in a centered set system where we don't demand that everybody agree on every matter of doctrine and dogma, but rather we commit ourselves to the life and teachings, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And in our difference, we learn how to be together with generosity, humility, freedom, and as Paul says, love. So, my friends, I'll close with this quote. To some, such freedom is no freedom at all. They would rather have marching orders, clear and an unimpeachable source of authority to bear the whole burden of responsibility. It is not easy to be free, but such limitations of freedom show not wisdom, but immaturity. I've said this before, but most fundamentalist groups take the easiest path because everybody has to agree, there's no debate, everything is determined. And we're just saying we're not interested in doing that. What we're interested in is going to be harder and it will require maturity. But it is a freedom that we have been set free for. This is what Christ came to do and set us and, and invite us into. So that's my invitation to you, my friends. I think it's worth it. And um, as long as I'm one of the pastors here, unless I'm convinced otherwise, which I don't see myself being and anytime soon, this is the direction we're headed. So I'd invite you to join us, to gather around the well, to find our life, our value, our, um, our worth already given and offered to us in Christ, where we give freedom to one another on debatable matters, where, we, where we, our unity comes not from doctrine and dogma, but rather our oneness in Christ. I think that's good news for the world. It's good news for me and it's good news for you. So that's what I invite you to. Pray with me. God, as we take a few moments in silence to
remind ourselves that the preacher doesn't have the corner market on truth, but rather you do, and your spirit is alive and active, we want to leave space for you to speak. Um, So even in the next few moments of silence, as we make our way towards the table, uh, we give you, Holy Spirit, the freedom to move us and shake us, to challenge us um, in new and fresh ways, trusting that you are good, that you are light and love, and that anywhere you lead us is consistent with those things. And so that's what we're after. So Holy Spirit lead, we pray. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
that Jesus was betrayed he took bread and he broke it and he said this is my body which is broken for you whenever you eat of this do it in remembrance of me in the same way he took a cup and he blessed it he said this is my blood which will be shed for you whenever you drink of it do it in remembrance of me so as we make our way to this table on this day when we talk about freedom, it's important to remember that this is not the table of the church. It is the table of the Lord. We don't own it. We don't determine who gets to come to it. We just offer it. So come. <clears throat> it's made ready for those who love God and those who want to love God more. You who have much faith and you who have a little bit of faith, you who have been here often or not for a long time or ever before, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. So come not because I invite you, but because the resurrected Christ, Jesus, the, the God who became man, invites you to come, to be fed, to be healed, to be made whole at the table. As you take the bread, I invite you to hear these words. The body of Christ, broken for you. Take and eat. And as you take the cup, I'd invite you to hear these words. The blood of Christ shed for you. Take and drink. Well, friends, that's the end of Wells and Fences, at least for now till the next time we decide we're ready to preach it. A um, couple things that uh, we want you to know about in terms of the life of our church that are coming up. Uh, the annual meeting is next week, June 13th, so we don't have church in the park, but we will have an annual meeting in the park, so please bring something to eat. Uh, it'll be a picnic, not a potluck. That's, we're not ready for that, I don't think. So bring a picnic. A lunch for yourself. Um, those of you who are partners will be voting on the budget that's been presented and in the annual report. Um, and if by chance there is inclement weather, we will make that decision at eight o'clock on Sunday morning and send out an email to all who subscribe to the Awaken Weekly with a Zoom link. So we'll do that annual meeting by Zoom if we have to. Um, there's a camping experience coming up, uh, July 16 to 18. There's some sites reserved up in Lino Lakes. Kathy Solomon's putting this together. 
So check the, uh, the website and the Awaken Weekly for details on that. That's going to be super fun. There's a, uh, I guess it's a seminar of sorts. It's called Depression, Friend or Foe. And uh, I, I didn't corroborate this, but the seminar date has changed, and I think the date is June 26th from 10 to 12. So check the Awaken Weekly and the website to make sure I'm right on that. I wasn't able to, to, to um, um, what's that word, you know, get a confirmation of that today, but I'm pretty sure that's right. And then last but not least, we got a garden outside. At this point, myself, Heather Crawford, Selena, and um, Rachel Sveda are working to provide food for those uh, at the food shelf. Um, I'd love it if more of you helped. Then we could say our church is doing this. But um, right now it's just the four of us. So we got things to water all summer. If you could just come by and water things, please let us know. We'd love it if you'd share the load. Uh, and that you can sign up on the website or the Awaken Weekly as well. So other than that, friends, wells, not fences. If you're up for it, if you're in, saddle up, partner. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the church said together, amen, amen, and amen. Grace and peace. We'll see you next week at the annual meeting. Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community. Or on Twitter, Awakening Community.